shit, dude. I just have 8 million windows open, or 8 million tabs, I guess. Though I think this, this actually, this My Laptop was recalled, officially. Uh, because they're exploding or some shit? Uh, yeah, they were like overheating and then frying the whole computer, but I just <laughs> never did the recall. I was always just like, oh, fuck that. Yeah. I mean, and I don't really do anything that makes it blow up. Like, I basically use it for writing and, like, school shit. Yeah. What podcast is this, Soph? Uh, this is Heavy Board. I'm Sophie Weiner. I'm Andrew Itzstadt. And today we're discussing Stephen King's The Shining. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe. What do you think of this, Soph? I mean, shit, I enjoyed it. I mean, we're going to talk about what I think is, like, the longest and most boring chapter possibly ever written in a, pop, in a pop novel. Yeah, I'm actually anxious to hear which one you say because <laughs> I, I, I found a similar chapter. There was a chapter where I felt the same way, and I wrote it down, so that would be... I bet it's the same one. Yeah, that I would be funny. anything it's the same one, man. It's, it's really probably. hard not to be bored during it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It was weird. I felt uh I don't know. I brought this up to you when I started reading that I wasn't sure how much I was like projecting the characters from the film onto the I was a hundred percent novel. But, like, I'd never read the book. Like, I'd seen the movie before I read the book, so, like, I just couldn't help but do that. But, like, as I kept reading, I kind of found, you know, it's not that easy to do because the characters in the novel have far more depth, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, it's a Stephen King novel. The characters aren't, like, super crazy, like, masterful, deep characters. Well, we can argue about that. Sometimes, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, they like they have depth though. They they're like, you know, not shells of characters intended for a horror film. Yeah, I mean, I, a book like, would they be. They have like real personalities yeah. that are more complicated than those we see in the film. Yeah, I mean, a book would be boring as shit if you didn't get some type of depth. Like even like the worst character, like the, some of the worst. In terms of popular fiction, I tried to reach a, read like a Grisham novel once, and to be fair, I've never heard of it before. I don't know if it was one of his more popular ones. So, I think it was called The Guardians or something. And dude, I gave it 150 pages, and it was just so bland. And like, and it's not that he didn't have character development; like there was some, but nowhere near what King does, and it just makes it such a bland experience oh yeah i mean but like can you imagine if danny the child character from the film was the same in the novel and how like painful to read those chapters would be you mean like yeah the way they make him dead as shit like creepy in the movie <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like not a real kid right he's just like a creepy like stand in you know and, and they do i mean i guess you don't have to but they do they don't show him like reading his parents thoughts as much which you could do easily in a movie with like a, you know 20 second scene or something like 
yeah. show him just like reading their thoughts and them not, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I guess we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but yeah, general thoughts. I mean, I liked it. I don't think it's, I mean, I guess cause I saw the movie beforehand. So it's not like I was like riveted by this. Oh, how's it going to end? Like I knew how it ended. Even the endings are different a little bit, but it's like, I don't know. My favorite King book is Pet Cemetery. I think that's one of his best, if not his best. But uh, the movies all suck of that. But the book is really good. But like, yeah, I guess King doesn't really need an introduction. We didn't even really introduce <laughs> the fucking author. But like, yeah, he's Stephen King. Yeah, he's creepy looking as shit. One of the things that I actually Ugly wanted. Dude. One of my questions I had, dude, was like, just, yeah, because he's somebody that is just so well-known. I mean, he's literally one of the best-selling authors to ever live. It's like him and, like, J.K. Rowling or whatever. Like, I was going to ask you, would you call King the most influential writer uh, to ever live? I don't know. I don't know, because I don't think that, like, most people out there trying to write right now are trying to write, like, Stephen King. Whoa. I mean, I guess that's arguable. I don't know. I don't know the fiction side of the world as well as you might. Well, I mean, everything is fractured into, like, niche genres now, but I, I just mean... yeah. Go argue ahead. his popularity over his influence. Maybe well, influence in terms of, like, the horror genre. Right. I just mean, yeah, I mean, he's one of the most famous to ever live, for sure. I mean, people all over the world would recognize. That's one of the things I noticed. Like, his name on my copy, I guess we didn't even talk about the copies yet, which edition we, we read. And there's, <laughs> I mean, with a book like this, I mean, you're talking hundreds of different printings. Like, But his name is bigger on the cover than like the title of the book <laughs> yeah like oh yeah so i just it's the reason huge. i and the reason Compared i thought of that. it yeah exactly yeah and we have two shit and, what, bold. and we have two completely different copies i have uh uh hotter i think it's a, one of his british publishing houses hotter like iconic terror paperback i got a two-pack out of it actually because i got the shining and dr sleep the sequel to this which i'm in the middle of now but I couldn't resist buying the two pack. What did you yeah, got? Yeah, I got the I got the Anchor Books Mass Market Edition, twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, yeah, that's what I mean. So like, even like I 10 think years. maybe this one just like went out of print, and they're putting out like a newer mass market now. Well, that's the thing, dude. I probably mean, get for five bucks. We'll link both. Well, I guess yeah, they don't have. We'll just link the mass market and yeah, we'll and link whatever that seems the most affordable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I usually, I'll just link both, whatever we read, for pe people could look at it, whatever, like, they can pick whichever one, if, if they, <laughs> if you want to fucking buy it at all, or you just want to look at it. Although we do encourage you to add all these books to your library, like we do, but. Yeah, so. no, I mean, this was a fun, fast read for, like, you know, a 600 plus page novel. At least my copy is 600 plus pages. I don't yeah. know about yours. Mine was about 500, just under 500. Yeah, I got that shittier, well, small copy. The mass market paperbacks, yeah. It's funny, he's one of the only authors to still get mass market paperbacks. Yeah, I guess people buy them. Well, they yeah. only buy his, really. They buy like four authors. 
But the reason I asked that, I started thinking about this. Like, this was after I'd read the book and then after I watched the movie, I started thinking, I was like, damn, is he the most influential writer to ever live? Like, and I mean that in a way, like, I've heard almost every contemporary writer I've ever met, I've ever listened to an interview with, I've ever just had a fucking conversation with, like, in hallways or whatever, conferences. At some point in their life... (laughs) Stephen King was a very important figure to them. You know what I mean? Like at some point, whether they were teenagers, whether they discovered it later in life, like you read a Stephen King novel and you fucking loved it. Like, and it fucking blew your hair back, you know? And you were like, whoa, this is fucking wild. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and I just think that I don't, it's, 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 he's still alive. So it's so hard to, to determine, you know? But, I mean, obviously, yes, I think it's safe to say he changed the horror genre forever if we're doing genre fiction. But, like, I think it's more than that because everybody kind of likes horror. Yeah, I think I'm just so acquainted. Like, I'm so much closer to, like, MFA world that kind of tends to reject um, certain certain kinds of popular writing. Although mine didn't really, for the most part. Um, I mean, but it I was depended. on the fiction side. Yeah, it depended. Some people did, so, but even those that like were like, "Oh, screw popular fiction." They had read Stephen King when they were ki- like, and like loved it when they were kids. Okay. Yeah, like, I feel like everyone in my program was imitating like, you know, some really niche contemporary writer, or, um, you know, they were trying to be the next Raymond Carver. Yeah, and I mean that's common. That, you know everybody so tries that's like yeah. that's why i say like oh i think like when it comes to like mfa writers i'm right. not sure you know but that's the only side of the house i really know right well i just mean dude, every i think even i just mean even people that do reject it now and only want to do or only want to read or only want to create literary kind of stuff they were still influenced by him. Like you can't, it's one oh, of those yeah. things this where he's so... so yeah, well, not even that, that. He's just so huge. And not just his books. Even if you didn't read his books, that's the other thing, dude. I think oh, we'll, yeah, I want to get to later. Movies. That's what I mean. Like He's just had such an impact on like the story creation in our culture that there's just nothing else comes close to what he... Yeah, did. he's like, a prolific storyteller. Right. But I just... But I mean, sure, there's plenty of those, but it's like... Like Dean Koontz has is prolific as fuck. I, I've I've never even read it, but I mean this guy he's I think he's another one of the most sold authors to ever live. But he's like you don't see his stuff. I mean it sells very well. I mean obviously all these you know these are top one percenters no doubt like top top one percent of one percent in the literary world or the writing world. But like he doesn't have the same impact on our culture that King did. Like King just had this huge impact still does. Cause I mean, now every time he makes something, they're just putting it out like as a story, a movie, whatever. Series. Oh yeah. I mean, think about how many, just how many editions he I mean, goes yeah. through in his little, book. his little bio in the book that I'm sure everybody already knows. Uh, I think it says he sold over 350 million copies worldwide, not just of this book, but all his books. I think he's published over 60 He's old now. I think he's almost he's in his seventies. But that I mean, not only is that a feat itself, but I mean I just feel like even if people don't want to admit it, 
like Stephen King has affected your life. <laughs> like he has influenced you as a creative. He has influenced you somehow because he's just basically been a sledgehammer to the culture since, you know, the seventies, whenever that, you know, Carrie came out. But I, I do want to, yeah, we were talking about the movies and like the adaptations. I have another question about that. Like what, what we think those did, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I think those did a lot. Well, we can oh, yeah. talk I about mean, that. I would argue they did everything. I mean, you want to sort of give a breakdown for anyone who doesn't know, like what sort of the book is. Yeah. Uh, as simple as it can be. I mean, you know, basically this family go, uh, goes to a hotel and they're meant to be like the caretaker for the winter season, which is a great setup in itself, man. I mean, that's just a great setup for a horror novel, like a big ass yeah. empty old hotel. <laughs> like, like, And this is like, okay. So like, this is Jack Torrance's last sort of stab at like a job that he's getting from his friend after getting fired for like being a shit to some kid at school he was teaching at. So him and his wife and their creepy kid who like reads minds essentially and can see the future goes to this creepy hotel to take care of it for the winter because it shuts down and has no um, guests for like you know nine months or something something crazy it's like six, six months, months yeah. yeah which would be like a, an extended winter season in some place that gets a lot of snow I guess yeah, and then they, basically the hotel starts to, like, consume the people. Yeah, it's like the hotel is basically, uh, like, some kind of evil thing. Well, that's what I mean, dude. Like, we're here, sitting here, like, everybody knows this. Even if you haven't seen the movie yeah. or read the book, you know what The Shining is about, basically, just because King has been such an influence on our culture. I mean, just... Yeah, and if you don't know The Shining, like, the title comes from this phrase that we get from, like, our one black character, Dick Halloran, and tells uh, tells the kid Danny that he's like, yeah, you can shine. You have The Shining. Basically, he can see into the future and see into people's minds. Yeah. I remember you texted me saying, yeah, Halloran was probably the most well-written character yeah, and maybe that's why he was so well cast, just because he was like so clearly written. Right, and like how charming he was, like how funny. Lots of cigarette, yeah, he was good. Yeah, lots of cigarette smoking indoors. So much cigarette smoking indoors and on airplanes. When that came in, I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> oh god smoking sections on airplanes that's what they took from us dude <laughs> bring back smoking sections on airplanes yeah yeah i guess one of my questions would be about the characters and i think a lot of a lot of my questions might be born out of my like you know whatever already sort of I had in my head about the movie and how I'm comparing it in my head, like as I read, but I like, I was asking myself at the beginning, like, are we supposed to like Jack Torrance? 
That's a good question. I think no. I don't think we are supposed to like him. Although I think there are parts of the book where I think he intentionally tries to create some sympathy for him, which is needed to create kind of more of a tragedy, I guess. But yeah, because right away we start learning about, you know, alcoholism. So like right away, that's like an unlikable thing if you're like looking for a character to like. Yeah, he like broke his kid's arm by accident. Right. He had some some type of outburst at like a student at the former school he taught at. Yeah, like a violent outburst. Right. Kid slashed his tires or whatever, and they're kind. And he's kind of elusive about that, like kind of uh, what caused it. Like, I guess they do tell us eventually that, like, yeah. He was like screwing this kid over or whatever in the debate club or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he's kind of an asshole. Yeah. Wendy, I think, was, you know, a much more interesting character. I mean, she's not like in herself, like sort of an interesting character. I wouldn't describe her that way necessarily, but she is a much more likable character in the book than in the movie. Yeah, she's like. And I wonder if, yeah, I would also say, like, in the movie, it's, like, um, it's, she's a lot stronger in the book. Yeah, well, that's famously what King hated about. Yeah. Um, the way she was written in the movie was that she was, like, passive, and he thought it was really misogynistic. Yeah, supposedly King didn't like anything about the movie. He didn't like... Nicholson is Jack. He didn't like uh, the changes, all that kind of stuff. See, like, Jack Nicholson was great in it. Like, yeah, he he's was. so great. <laughs> yeah, he was. But he's so, like, hateable from the outset. Like, yeah. we know instantly that we hate him, and I don't know that that's true with the novel. Right. Yeah. Wendy, I hated kind of instantly in the movie. It's just, yeah, Shelley Duvall's kind of off putting. Well, yeah, and all she does is like weep and ignore the fact that her husband's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the bulk of her character from what I remember of the movie. There were some famous lines I was kind of waiting for that never occurred, and I was like, oh, shit, all right. I thought about that. Yeah, yeah. I wonder... I, I was waiting for the take your medicine. It seemed like yeah. that could have been perfect to throw in at one point, just throw us a little take your medicine line. For re like yeah. listeners, like the thing that keeps reoccurring, in King's style, he does this uh, um where he does a parenthetical in between a paragraph or like a sentence where he tells you what the character is actually thinking and versus what's being written down kind of thing. Uh, and this like reoccurring thoughts, all that kind of stuff. He uses the parenthetical kind of all over the place, but it is one of his kind of quirks is that it's one of his like stylistic trademarks, I would say. Yeah. Um, and one of them is, about taking your medicine like jack keeps saying i'm gonna make you right. take your medicine to various characters and we like find out that that's actually like from his father like his abusive dad who was also a drunk right 
And yeah, you think they could have just thrown that in there when he like any one of the scenes where he's going crazy. But yeah, I thought uh, Wendy far less annoying. I hated Jack a lot less. I sympathized with him a little bit more in the middle, even though I could tell that I wasn't quite supposed to like him. You know. Yeah. But there, but there's a sentence. Um, from one of Halloran's chapters. So like every chapter we should probably mention is in from the perspective of a different character. So it cycles through Danny, Wendy, and Jack over and over again. And then toward the end we start to get Dick Halloran too. Yeah. Which is a typical kind of structure for kind of the gothic yeah. novel structure. And King uses that in almost all of his stuff. Like because, I mean, it is. It's just a easy, good way to tell a story in third person, I guess. Yeah. And toward the end of chapter 49, um, in the narration, it says, he was drowning in instinct. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is the novel in a sentence. He was drowning in instinct. That's a good one, yeah. So, I mean, there are moments of real real greatness but I guess to me that like if this had to be like about something other than sort of the horror you know sort of tropes behind it and the idea of this creepy hotel that's evil was like this idea of like some weird ultra human instinct which is what kind of the shining is right it's kind of like uh, yeah like they call it you know like a sixth sense or something like it's funny i'm reading the sequel to this now and you know obviously this novel came out this novel came out in what 77 i think is when it originally was published it has to be. a movie came out in 1980 uh and then you know the sequel came out much more recently you know it was like 40 years later but uh since the sixth sense had come out like, he makes a reference to it in like the sequel and like <laughs> they're talking about like the shine you know that like the kids have and I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that now yeah, but, because he influenced everybody so fucking much. <laughs> yeah, but, even the characters, though, that don't, like, that can't read minds and shit, though. Um, like, it seems like that's the constant struggle that they're in. Their instinct, like, versus their logic or something, right? Like, we see that with Wendy when she's, like, trying to decide... You know, like whether to leave the room to check if Jack is still locked in the, you know, food closet or whatever. We see it with Jack when he's, um, you know, when he's essentially when he's going crazy in every scene where Jack is starting to go crazy, which I would say starts like surprisingly late in the novel. Like I would say I didn't like know he was going crazy until about halfway through. Yeah, it's much more subtle in the novel the way it's it's well, and because it, it, well, you get the, but then all of a sudden it's definitely not. Well, yeah, right? you like get the, you get the, about halfway through, yeah. he's just like the so one of the um, sort of big things in the movie is like that hedge maze, that big, you know, winding hedge maze that doesn't exist in the novel, right. but you do have like these hedge animals that like come to life to protect the hotel. Um. Or, like, try to attack, you know, 
the caretaker and his family. And, uh, yeah, it was there. It was that, um, it was when he was, like, trimming these animal hedges, these goofy-ass animal hedges, which, like, I can understand why that wouldn't work in the movie. I was going to say, just for cost, like, the amount of, like, CGI we need to make hedges Also, move. just imagine, like, a moving bunny. Right, know? yeah, it's not that... Bunny hedge. Like, how terrifying is that, actually? Or, like, I mean, even one of the scenes that was kind of comical to me was, like, toward the end. So, when Dick Halloran, who's, like, you know, I guess, what is he... Is he the caretaker or, like, the chef during the, like, you know, during the season yeah, when the, the hotel is yeah. running? Um, Danny calls for him because they're in trouble and he comes back. And, like, on his way back, he's, like, fighting this hedge lion right. that's, like, beating him to death, <laughs> essentially. Like, while he's trying to, like you know, get back to the hotel on the snowmobile. And, like, I was kind of laughing. Yeah. You know? So I was, like, there... I, I was picturing it, and I was, like, there's no way to make this actually look scary. Right. You know? It just seems kind of goofy. Yeah, I thought that, like, making it a hedge maze... At first, I was, like, what the fuck? But then I was, like, okay that is like kind of a practical adaptation thing. It's like, all right, we can't do the hedge animals visually. Yeah. Visually amaze is much, it's much scarier. Right. It it did. It was a good adaptation thing. Fun fact from what I know about this. Yeah. King had first draft rights when the movie rights were sold, did the first draft of the script. uh, And then supposedly like they just rejected it. They just hated it. And like, Kubrick and that uh what's her name I forget her name and I just watched the movie recently and it plashed up in front of me and they uh anyway this yeah they rewrote the whole thing and like yeah I wonder what that movie would have been although I will say it's not always the best when writers get to adapt their own book uh King's stuff that he's been able to adapt himself is kind of notoriously always not as good as when he has nothing to do with it and people just take the material and like well, do he probably something. keeps it like a little too close to the novel i think that like i watched pets i hate to keep bringing up a book we didn't read this week but yeah like in pet cemetery i watched the original version of that and he did the screenplay for that one and it is just so corny like it might be the direction too you know it's not always his fault also like, some things like can fly but, in novels that just can't in a movie right. you know it just doesn't play well visually or it doesn't sound as natural in actual dialogue that happens out loud. It's kind of the yeah. same thing. He does like to have this trope of like a wise older person sometimes like hollering in this novel. And then there's a character in Pet Cemetery. I can't even think of his name, but like the old guy in that who's like the wise older character who's trying to help whoever is like suffering, like the main characters in the novel. And uh, that that was just they didn't do a good job putting that on the screen and it was bad. And the remake, I think John Lithgow played it and he did a better job, but it was still, it wasn't good. Uh, Jed, I think his name was Judd. Judd. Yeah. That was his name. That old, old guy. Anyway, I'm getting off topic with different fucking book, but yeah. Yeah. Certain things that were adapted for the movie though. Like I'm finding myself questioning more now. 
you know, like Danny's character. I mean, definitely Wendy's character. Like she yeah. didn't need to be like a snowling kind of dumb. Yeah. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I will say you have to be that. I will say what they did with Danny's character did make him scarier. It did make him scarier, yeah. but we also didn't get as much insight into his character in any right. way. We got like almost I zero. feel like that. Yeah, I feel like that could have been done, but I guess you know if you're trying to keep it like mysterious, and they really kept like Jack as the focus of the movie. Like we were really mostly in his POV, except a few times we were in Danny's. Right, mostly on the trike or that little yeah big wheels in the in the. Yeah, but movie, Danny but... sees like a lot more in the hotel, and the hotel is a lot more active than just Jack being a monster. Right, that's what a lot of people who didn't like the movie uh, criticized. Kubrick for is that you know Nicholson and Jack's character in the movie went crazy too quickly like it's like they showed up and he was already crazy like as soon as they got there and I get you know you're compressed for time like that movie's already like over two yeah, hours I would say they kind of like made his crazy it was like he was already kind of crazy in the movie, like he had a sort of like intense kind of crazy feeling to him. Right. And Nicholson and I think, looks kind of crazy, like just and generally. That's, yeah. yeah. Like if they could have brought that down just the slightest notch, you right. know, and let it be slightly more gradual. That's, I think that could have been good. I think but... that's what King criticized. They didn't like that casting because, yeah, Nicholson was too hard or too, you know aggressive or whatever yeah we don't see as much of the he's like trying to be a loving father and right. husband side and, and you don't believe it when with nicholson's character you just you don't believe it when it does happen yeah but i also get yeah i mean you know you have to put this into a movie i mean it's 500 page novel like... well yeah and the point wasn't in the movie to actually like make him be like a good father it was more to make us believe that he would turn out to definitely not be <laughs> yeah man that's i did uh i mean other themes yeah obviously alcoholism but honestly in the book like family is a huge theme and that's really not in the movie at all yeah marriage in particular fatherhood yeah he's constantly talking about his dad the cycle of violence like or you know domestic violence uh, the cycle of alcoholism, yeah, sins of the father type thing, pushed onto the child. You know, classic thing in literature. I mean, you can point to. I mean, all the great epics that use that. But uh, I'm thinking, uh, fences. Yeah. I'm thinking death of a salesman. I'm thinking like all the great stories we hold up, like just like sins of the father type dramas um the thing that i did think you know i really i already said like i really enjoyed the book the thing that i thought king did really well or one of the things that i thought he did really well was write the child pov without making it boring right 
without making it overly childlike, but keeping it believable as a child. You know, like obviously the narration isn't actually that of, you know, a child's right. voice. But like there are elements of it that make a lot of sense to me, like the way he capitalizes certain words to express that Danny doesn't actually understand the word, but has some sense of what it might mean. Yeah. And I think that is one of his strengths is he does write kids perspectives very well at times it is inconsistent, but you kind of forgive it for that one. Cause usually you're hooked on the story and two, because you know, it just flies so quickly. You're just like, ah, a little slip up here. And like, it doesn't really, on to the next kind of you want to go to the next thing yeah so uh what do you think is the most boring chapter andy uh i thought it was that uh overlook history chapter with like the fucking hands fif- down yeah with like the 15 terrible. terrible and long yeah and like the 15 news articles like i thought it was gonna end after like three and then there was like three more i was like oh my god these are so long yeah dude and king's chapters are usually so short and i was like what the fuck even is this like why are you writing all of these like fine write all of these fake news articles but don't put them all in here like we don't need right. all of these that and i, I like thought... give us like a bunch of headlines but stop making me read all these we needed like three we needed the three that he references again as like ghosts later on in the novel and the rest were just overkill i was like oh yeah that's the prime example of his biggest weakness which is he overwrites and you see this with a lot of like pop popular fiction what we would call popular fiction writers uh they tend to overwrite a little bit uh may i mean you know but that was i thought that I yeah. thought that too in the scene where he, uh, <laughs> where he pulls Shelly's tits out of her shirt while Danny is sleeping. Oh yeah. I was like, does this, like, what is this doing? Like, we already sort of got the sense of their closeness, you know. Uh, it's like, yeah, and then he like pulls her tits out of the wide V neck of her shirt. I mean, everybody loves tits, dude. Like, yeah. Especially Stephen King. Yeah, well, yeah. It's fucking weird looking as shit. Just throw in a little gratuitous nudity, you know? It's a. I don't know, people yeah. like a little, a little sex. Nipple sucking. Yeah, people like a little sex with their entertainment, you know? This is why we cast, you know? People that, are, like, if they're doing a biopic, we usually cast people that are way more attractive than, like, the actual person they're portraying or. Is there a is there a scrapbook in the movie? <coughs> no, there's no overlook history in the movie. There's no like direct reference to any of the news articles. There's a, not even much reference to the party, the Fourth of July party yeah. until kind of it's very way much later. way more mysterious. Yeah, the movie is way more mysterious. Yeah, the movie does. I mean, the movie does make the material like kind of scarier. Than... yeah like the way jack sort of does become part of a ho- the hotel at the end right with like that's completely his picture. yeah the hotel doesn't blow up at the end is the biggest difference i guess right yeah the boiler is non-existent in the i mean you have to do this when you're adapting a novel you can't put every little detail you have to but you have to cut out wisely you know and then 
I always the biggest mistake I see with novel adaptations into movies is that, and this is something that like it's very difficult to do. I mean, we tend to rely so heavily on the novel that we 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 forget that like a viewer needs to be told information or something like that. Like I noticed this kind of in the later Harry Potter movies. Um, it's just a lot of it like because you're reading the book so much and you're adapting it. I'm sure. I mean, you know, you're just overlook the fact that if you hadn't read the book you wouldn't know anything about this little thing that's happening on screen and that that doesn't really tend to happen in this one i mean i think they did a decent job of that you tend to get yeah we don't learn much of anything about tony the voice in danny's head yeah which is also much less mysterious in the book which like they hint at about halfway through again like they're really king is good at foreshadowing sometimes he hits it over the head i think yeah like sometimes i think he lays it on too thick um but we'll have like these repeated phrases or like these things that just you know keep coming back um these little motifs i forgot what i was saying yeah me too because I'm drinking though. Oh yeah, but we like don't learn about Tony, right? Like in the movie, it's just Danny, like talking creepily to his finger. Yeah, and that adds to the creepiness of the Danny character. But yeah, it's very different than what was in the book. Yeah, and in the book, it's like, oh, Tony is Danny from the future, and. And, like, is trying to warn Danny, but we don't actually see that until the very end. Yeah. Because we don't know. It's, like, Danny's middle name is Anthony or something like that. Yeah. Chapter 18, though, is that fucking boring-ass chapter. The scrapbook chapter. Which is, like, important because it triggers that whole, like, obsession with the history on Jack's part. He's like, I'm going to write this novel or this like nonfiction book he also throws a little a little shot at, at poe in there dude everybody likes yeah. to throw shots at poe says that was poe the great american hack yeah that's jack's perspective because jack is trying to you know striving to be a great writer but yeah when i started getting these news articles in chapter 18 i was like okay and then it kept going and kept going and then i was like all right like we needed like three of these we didn't need all like 17 and these better come back in the end if you're giving us all of these and only like two of them do and i was just like oh yeah it it is yeah yeah, i mean it's i mean that's what leads me to one of my questions i was going to ask you is yeah i mean what separates what popular fiction from what we would call literary fiction i mean the age-old question i mean what i don't even know if we'll get an answer i think it's how much is sitting under the surface of the actual text like there's a lot that can be like left unsaid in literary fiction i think a lot less gets left unsaid explicitly in um pop fiction honestly that's a good way to like i think it's more sensational yeah it's a good way to think about it uh i think we tend to think of them as like standards 
like we would be like, oh, literary fiction is a higher standard or something. Just higher brow. Yeah, which we would imply. Yeah. You know, better or. Yeah, I mean, God, it's. Yeah, I think it's probably just a matter of like depth. Which isn't to say that this novel lacks depth. It's like fun. But again, like how much like how much analysis would you really need to give to a book like this? Sort of unpack it, you know, not a lot. It's not actually like for as much as happens in this book. It's not actually that complicated. Yeah, of course. And honestly, I noticed that when I wrote down like a couple of the themes, which I didn't have many, I was like, yeah, this is not as dense. This compared to like when we did Wharton or somebody, dude, I had like half a page of just like themes that I listed off. Like, and like it was, yeah. So I guess, yeah, density is a good way to think about it or surface level or yeah. complex. I mean, I think that's what it is. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. But, I mean, there are moments of, like, really nice writing in here. Yeah, I mean, he's... I mean, sometimes it borders on, like, a little... Making a character feel a little bit pretentious, which I don't think is, like, that far off from what we need Jack Torrance to be. But, um, yeah, no, there were moments where I was like, that's a, a really lovely little bit right there. Yeah. That was a really beautiful little phrase, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of references to writers in this. Obviously cuz the one of the main the main character, Jack is trying to be a writer, very much a stand-in for King, I guess. I mean, you know, he's a school teacher trying to be a writer. That was King's thing. He was a school teacher until he sold Carrie. Uh, yeah, I think I was also at first projecting that onto I mean, I think it's there, but I think I was is. like reading like oh like how ragey is uh Stephen King like toward his you know I guess nagging bitch of a wife there's this like running thing in the book about how you know Jack is fed up with all of Wendy's nagging only sometimes you know this is like something that only gets expressed in his moments of rage he calls I found myself being I was definitely like judging King in those moments and I'm pulling back and being like, wait, this is like a character I'm not supposed to like. But I also thought it was interesting that because you do read it as a stand in for King. So he like put himself in like the, you know, antagonist position, essentially, even though I wouldn't say that Jack is necessarily the actual antagonist of the novel. Right. And it is like, you know, you how much you don't want to put so much weight on something like because we are just like projecting. But. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, there's always going to be some. Yeah, I don't know. I always... Yeah, I mean, like, what do you think about those scenes when Jack's going crazy? Uh, that was when the story was just humming at full speed for me, and I was just blasting like through that. <clears throat> like Jack. There were spots for him and Danny where I like had to go back and reread because I was like, wait, what did I just? Yeah. what's going on and sometimes it's like you're kind of just suspended in it and you're not supposed to really 
I think, fully grasp what is happening until after the fact when they kind of break it down a little bit for you, which also feels a little bit goofy sometimes. Well, and because I think you're supposed to, because technically I think that's his way of trying to be like the character itself doesn't even realize like this is happening until he's running around like with that mallet, you know, like. Yeah, I think the ballroom scenes were interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, which are also pretty famous in the movie, right? Like these ballroom, and the, ba- the ballroom drinking scene. And the ballroom drinking scenes in the book are so pivotal to like Jack's kind of change as a character, you know, like yep. the kind of turning point to the crazy. And like, I do think the movie did a pretty good job of, of shortening those up drastically and just giving us the gist. And there were a few moments with exact lines of dialogue from the book, yeah, which I appreciate there, in, a, in an adaptation. There were some moments of that, like, change when Jack is, like, going from, you know, kind of out of it to, like, pretty fucking insane. Right. That, I I don't know if it's just in that shift there, like, where he just sort of flips over into full crazy, but I feel like we missed a step, you know? You mean in the movie? Like, it almost... Or no, in the book. In the book? Like, I feel like there was, like, one step closer to it before we went, like, full crazy. <laughs> right. That we missed. And instead, we went from just, like, kind of, like, almost crazy to all of a sudden now we're really fully crazy. And we're a bad guy. Yeah, and I, I think in the beginning of the book, there are some hints at, like, okay, this is going to happen. But then... Well, yeah, they keep sort of echoing it over and over again about how he would never he would never hurt his kid. He would never hurt his wife. But, right. oh, how he wants to. But he right. would never do it. He would never hurt his kid. He would never hurt his wife. And, like, even, you know, how, like, Wendy is always assuming that if something bad happens to Danny, that it was Jack's fault because of the time that Jack broke his arm. Right. Um, so like, yeah, it echoes through the whole book. That's something that he's going to do something. And, that's and like I... also with the previous caretaker who also like murdered his family. Like, I mean, that's the biggest right. red flag. That's what I mean. Like we didn't actually even need that. I don't think. I think, I mean, it's there. Like there could have been, been like something, yeah. and there Grady, could have been something slightly more elusive. Grady does come back, like, yeah, into the story and matter to like him getting out of the pantry and stuff. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that was a whole big thing. But yeah, him getting out of the pantry. That was good. It's a good scene.
um, I was happy that Dick lived, you know? Yeah. I didn't think the ending was, like, that much happier. Like, you know, I don't think, you know, it was marginally happier than the film. Yeah. But it could only have been read as, ha- like, the film could have done the same exact thing. And it still would have been eerie because we don't really feel as much toward the characters in the film as we do in the novel. Right. The novel would still be a happier ending, and still only marginal. What? And still only marginally. Yeah, I mean, he's not known for his endings. Yeah, I, I don't remember the last lines. The best ending that I've ever read of his is Pet Cemetery. Again, if you haven't read that, go read that. I think that's his best one. He says that's his scariest, and it is. It's fucking creepy. Creepier than any of the movies make it, which is weird it's one of those ones that just doesn't translate well wendy sat down on danny's other side and the three of them sat on the end of the dock in the afternoon sun (laughs) boring as shit yeah yeah boring as shit ending is that what separates like literary what we call literary from i think so I think so. I think this is like pure entertainment that like has, you know, some shit to say about like family life and like certain values and how, you know, and maybe about human nature, but it's not like a concise like masterpiece on, you know, some deeper part of humanity. Yeah. It doesn't have quite the same... I mean, I also think there's like a larger element of beauty that comes into play when we're talking about literature that maybe isn't needed or like isn't the focus of right. pop fiction. You know? Like when you're trying to be entertained, you're not necessarily trying to be put in awe of beauty. And right. I think that's also what a lot of literature aims to do. Or what at least... I mean, you know, you and I were both trained in poetry and I think maybe that it's possible that's much truer of poetry than it is of fiction. Yeah. I I was sending you those Pauline Kael quotes about her essay on trash art. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, where she just said, like, you know, like, we, we need to be careful not to confuse entertainment. Like, if we like something that we would call, you know, trash art or popular art, like, kind of art that's strictly made to entertain us, you know, give us pleasure in one specific way, like, you know. Yeah, from, and like, it's, like, sensational. Literally, like, it it latches onto your senses to take you for a wild ride, and that is not how I would describe most literary fiction. Yeah, I mean, most literary fiction, I mean, kind of a snooze, man. I mean... Yeah. (laughs) But, like, it's also beautiful and, like, you know, has depth, right? But it's not. It's definitely... I mean, like, you know, I get excited reading, like, Edith Wharton's ghost stories. Or even, like, some of her, like, sadder stories. Even, like, Ethan Frome, although I had a tough time with that one. I got really ragey reading it. Oh, dude, that's such a heartbreaker. I read that thing in, like, one day. And it was you know, that one killed me, yeah. but yeah, like it's yeah, it's different. It, like it, I don't know, like a different range of emotions that it evokes in the reader. That pesky, it's that dividing line. Yeah, 
That's but why I wonder there, about like real. the the constant literary references. I guess you could argue it's character building for the Jack character, but yeah. Yeah, but you know, I think you're also allowed as like a popular writer to like be someone who's a pop writer aspiring to write the great right. American novel. You yeah. know, I I don't think there's anything actually wrong with that. Like, and essentially, you know, if he wants to define it on his own terms, in some ways he has, and he's done it like, you know, 60 times. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if not the great American writer, the successful one. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's probably getting a lot more for every book than uh, most big hits in the literary field. Yeah, I mean, he just sells more is the thing, yeah. Actually, yeah, they know I, he'll sell. Yeah, I heard him say... Don't literature. I heard him say in an interview that he just, like, doesn't... He, like, doesn't even... He said at one point, like, he's just like, look, you don't need to give me, like, a million-dollar advance. Like, you can just give me, like, you know, 200K, and then we'll split the profits or whatever, like, on the sales. <laughs> and, like, yeah, they're just like, yeah, okay, yeah, because we know it's going to sell 100 million, yeah. <laughs> translated already yeah so he said too he's like yeah. yeah i admire yeah i admire him yeah i mean like you know i uh like i said i really enjoyed this you know i'm a slow reader but for me you know <laughs> i flew through it yeah um, it was fun, except for that one fucking chapter that was boring as shit. It, the rest of it was fun. Yeah, and I thought even like that last chapter, like you could have just lopped off that last chapter and it would have been fine ending. Dude, and yeah, and it's like filled with action. Oh yeah, that epilogue, right. not necessary. Yeah. Epilogue's often not necessary. Right. Um, especially in pop fiction. I mean, take Harry Potter. God, I even read Twilight. That had one of the most atrocious epilogues I've ever read in my life. It was even worse than Harry Potter. I've never read Twilight. We should do it for the pod. Oh, man. Oh, man. Break those books out somewhere uh, in my parents' basement. Yeah, I, I, Covered mean, I read, in dust. I read Hunger Games. Covered in dust and shame. Dust and shame. Oh, I left them down there for a reason. Yeah, no one could know. Yeah, dude, those books were written for little girls just learning how to jerk off. I was going to ask, uh, did the movies make his reputation? Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Didn't it? Yeah. That's... I mean, well, you probably know more about his history, but I would say, like, that's why everyone knows his name. Like, if I were to ask my students, you know, to name, like, a horror writer, I think that... Stephen King is probably the only one they would come up with. And I don't think any a single one of my students has read any of his books. <laughs> or any books. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, I say, yeah, I mean, the movie always sells books. But, I mean, in his case, like, it's very particular how it happened to well, Carrie. But, but the popularity of the movies is right. what did it. Did, who made Carrie? Uh, De Palma. And it was well How done. How do you feel about that? I mean, it was well done. Like that's the thing is that the mo- the book was kind of a flop until De Palma made the movie. Yeah. And then the and then that's when he 
got his big break like because and how he... big was the shining i wonder because that came out forever ago but like the movie was such a big fucking deal by the and continues shining, to be such a big deal that it renews his audience in a way that I feel like I think it wouldn't be without the film. I think Carrie came out in 74, the novel. The movie was made in 76, which kind of put him on the map. And the he wrote... Then I think he had like a couple successive hits. So I think he went Carrie, then he did Salem's Lot, and then I think he did Pet Cemetery, and then I think he did The Shining. So I think The Shining was the fourth one. And by that point, he was already like, oh, this guy's putting out hit after hit in the horror genre. Uh, So the book probably did well by that point. And it was highly anticipated. Like the movie was very highly anticipated by the time it came out. Yeah. And I feel like once you have a heavy hitter film like The Shining, that like, you know, even if it hadn't been popular at the time, like has, you know... Was it popular at the time? I actually don't know. Oh, yeah. And they put a lot of money behind it, too. Like, it was... Yeah, so... Yeah. Hugely popular at the time. Continues to be really popular now. Probably has a massive cult following. And um, will continue to renew his audience year after year. For anyone who loves good film. Like, because that doesn't really die. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's totally dependent... He even says so himself. Yeah, he's a very humble guy. If you ever like listen to his interviews, I guess he can afford to be. But yeah, I would say that his success was in part made by how easily adapted his movie, his film, uh, his books are into film. What's well, always how the much case? People wanted to do yeah. that. Pop. Everyone's fucking dying for a good horror film. I know right. I am. Yeah, and they don't come around often. Like. <laughs> no. But, like, poppy fiction or pulpy fiction always makes better movies than the literary, usually. Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, when you write a poppier book, it's much easier to translate and make a huge hit. Like, Yeah, and there's just going to be so much to pick or choose from when you're trying to represent, you know, whatever it is, 300, 400, 500, 600 pages into a film. Right. Like there's going to be a lot to work with without having to follow every single cue. That too. And like you just said, like the kind of what separates the two is that this literary genre has a lot of unsaid stuff in it. Maybe stuff that's just harder to depict in a visual medium, like a movie. Harder to like also like come off not obnoxious, you know, like sometimes like when movies feel like they're almost overly academic in style like like they were written for a bunch of senior seminar film students to sit there and talk about how smart and like layered and intelligent it is and whatever right and sometimes that just ends up making it kind of annoying (laughs) like it kind of just makes it terrible to watch yeah and I say that as someone who has, like, fallen victim to this plenty of times. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. It's more of an entertainment medium in that in that sense. Yeah, and literature is more of an I'm intelligent medium. Look at me. I'm smart. <sighs> I'm smart and I'm talented. <sighs> I need you to know that. <laughs> uh. 
so talented. You know, I bet Stephen King looks really natural on on the can, though. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's just, like, doubled over, taking a shit, and writing pages. He's hard to look at, yeah. <laughs> His face is. Yeah. But somehow on the, on the toilet, I imagine him being just such a natural. He's probably really regular. Shout out. Shout out to the regulars. Dude, fuck you. Regularity. You know? And if you're not regular... Like that's okay too. Yeah, if you're not regular, we could uh, uh, use Metamucil for all of your uh, 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 irregularity needs. Yeah, we're gonna have to wrap this up soon a, so that I can go do that. Give us a call, Metamucil. Give us a. That shit's expensive. Give us a sponsorship. Yeah, we're already we're already plugging ads, and we're not even sponsored. See, we're we're it's totally worth it. Yeah, this man takes like 25 pills a day. Make it sound like I'm a drug addict or something. Pills. <laughs> Them fiber pills. Fiber supplement. Is horror better with sad endings? I think horror is better with better endings. <laughs> you know? I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think it has to be sad. Or like and a disturbing. And then we were sitting there on the dock just looking off into the sunset. You know? I mean, I think sometimes a little bit of ambiguity does an ending some good. Yeah. In some cases, not always, but a little, a little left to be imagined. Imagined, yeah. 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 I I don't know. I think a little too happy is a little too much. I think any book that ends a little too happy is a little too much. Yeah, and I think that's another one of his problems is that he does do this kind of dad, very dad energy. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. exactly how you describe yeah. it. It's very, very like, dad endings. It's and like, the same energy of the sex scenes. And like dad jokes. Like the jokes are very like Dad energy sex. Yeah. <laughs> dad energy. Yeah, dude. Fucking Dad I, energy nipple. I like the sad I like the sadder, more disturbing ending for a, a horror. Like oh, I'm yeah. fine with the Watch trope. Be disturbed. Yeah, I'm fine with like the the you know the easy ending of everybody dies. Like I'm usually fine with that as long as it's well done. I'm just like, oh yeah, kill them all. <laughs> like, yeah, make this shit horrific. Make this. Yeah, I was horrific. surprised they didn't kill Halloran. Yeah. That definitely would have made for a much sadder ending. Yeah. And it was like there was this moment at the end of toward the end where where Wendy's just like he's dead. <laughs> you know, this place killed my husband. He's not him anymore. And she's just like so matter of fact about it. Like yeah. all of a sudden, again, like there's a moment where it's like that shift to her realization was too abrupt. That it and so abrupt that it felt goofy. Yeah, I guess at that point he did try to kill her, and she gets pretty beat up in the uh, book. Yeah, but to just say matter-of-factly, no, it's not my husband, leave him right. to blow up. <laughs> leave yeah. him to die. He's dead to me already. Something you could only get away with. I think with. that's pretty wild. Yeah. You could only get away with it in like a pop fiction. 
Pipe. Yeah, I feel like he could have gone a little more complex there. But, yeah. I, I You know. It was good. I think uh, the ending was lackluster, but, and, you know, that one chapter really just, you could rip it out. That and... You could uh, rip that chapter out, but... I guess they do. They kill Hollering in the movie. Yeah, they do. Well, Jack kills Hollering in the right. movie. Axe to the chest. The yep. axe was a nice touch, too. It's yeah, different different murder weapon. Yeah. Um, an axe is visually much scarier than a rope mallet. Yeah. That also felt very like New England of, of King. Yeah. There's a lot of really, um, yeah, it's just so easy to picture certain, like, elite New England, like, white boy sports. And <laughs> Roke. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. It's like croquet. Yeah, I guess. Or is it, like, cricket? I don't fucking know. I just assumed that was also like croquet. I guess it is. <laughs> If it's a mallet, they're, like, kind of all the same to me. God, dude, hopefully we don't have any, like, British overseas listeners that actually, like, know what this is. Yeah, I'm sure they do, you know. Or New Englanders. I don't play sports or watch them. Uh, so sue me. I am too American to know anything about... <laughs> like, I barely know anything about hockey. Yeah, I just don't care. I just know the American... The American Empire, the big three. Baseball, basketball, football. Do not care. My last question was, uh, do you think the book or the movie is better? Oh, man. God, that's tough because it's been so long since I first watched the movie. And when I first watched the movie, I remember being like blown away. Same, yeah. I think I watched it in like eighth grade or seventh or eighth grade. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Same. That's a fucking movie. And uh, yeah, it's like really different because also like having some familiarity with the story. It's hard to tell. There are things about the book that I definitely like. I I don't know. I enjoyed being along for the longer ride of it. I enjoyed the sort of having um, a deeper understanding of the characters, not dealing with Wendy's crying. Yeah, I think if I had to, if I was, if I wanted to be afraid the movie but if i wanted to be entertained for a long time the book yeah i um, if i was pressed like if somebody was forcing me to say one or the other i would say i think the movie's better yeah i mean artistically it's probably like a better overall it took the best parts yeah <laughs> it took the best parts i was also thinking as i was rewatching the movie for this podcast dude and i was you know taking notes on it for the first time and I fucking watched it and it was like I I was struck by like man like they took the story and just made it like elevated it to like a lot yeah not the characters but the 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 overall story I do think I think Jack's death is better in the book I think that it was kind of 
lackluster in the movie. I like that in the book they give him a little um a little moment of redemption. Yeah. Like he lets Dan like he, you know, sort of has Danny and lets Danny get away. And like understands that he's like gonna die in that moment, but then sort of you know, it ends for him pretty quickly thereafter. Yeah. Yeah. He also like essentially like he kills himself in the book. Basically. But he's not trying to. Well, but isn't he at the no, like he dies before his body does is the sense that I got in the book. Like he brings the mallet down on his own head oh. as like a final blow to kill himself. So like he actually takes the mallet to himself. Yeah, man. Wild, wild shit. Yeah, but isn't that a fucking weird thing? And I guess in the book also, like, the other thing that's weird is, like, after Jack actually dies, like, his face is sort of taken over by the hotel. Like, his face stops being his face, which is weird. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of strange imagery in the novel that doesn't happen in... um, in the movie, but I think in the movie it has better imagery to suit. The one thing the movie does, I think that is probably the creepiest, one of the creepiest parts in the movie is when Shelley Duvall or Wendy finds the novel he's been writing. Oh yeah. And like, I kept, I guess cause I saw the movie first, I kept waiting for that to happen in the book and it didn't happen. And I was like, Oh wait, they added that. Like, and I think that is one line in the book that Jack says to himself, like, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, the funny thing is, like, he does actually finish his play that he went there to work on. Right. <laughs> like, he does say, like, oh, yeah, I finished that. Yeah, so there's some creepy shit that didn't come from the book that is pretty genius in the film. Um, book, overall, again, really fun read. I enjoyed it shit ending one really boring chapter but overall i mean good fun punchy little read right that's what i was thinking too like <clears throat> the um when i was watching it rewatching, i was like oh fuck like i don't remember a time or like more recently even when, like when a, a horror novel like this gets this kind of our tour kind of director and this fucking oscar winner <laughs> to star as the lead and like gets given all this money, this huge budget to be made. And like, we get like this, you know, our tour filmmaker Kubrick. And then we get Nicholson off his Oscar win for Cuckoo's Nest. And it's, they create one of the most iconic horror films ever made. I mean, I guess is that, that's the formula right there. That's the formula. Yeah. Yeah, man. Great fucking great movie. Pretty good book. <laughs> the elevator. Although of blood. I still maintain, like I was really entertained by the book in a way that you can't be by the movie, and I mean right. that's just true of books. Yeah, books are different. Yeah. yeah. It's immersive. I think movies yeah. movies try to try to capture that but it's hard to do because 
books are immersive in this way that movies can never be. God. Stephen King as a young man, even. Yeah. God. Really just hideous. <laughs> Always got to look him up as a young man, you know? Try to give him a shot. Uh, I've never seen him before his, like, beard stage. Oh, well, here you go. Oh, God. See if he sent yeah. the pic. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ugly as shit. Yeah. And I know, I remember when he first came out, I mean, he was incredibly controversial. Oh, look at that. It's incredible to me every time I see a picture of him. Yeah. You look like, this is a man who looks like an animal. (laughs) Yeah, dude. (laughs) Oh, man. Fucking King. Stephen fucking King, dude. Yeah, I feel like, I guess we talked more about the movie than we did the book, but yeah, I mean, there's I mean, we talked about them both about equally. Yeah, there's really... Like I said, it's not it's not that deep. It's not that. I mean, listen, we'll make up for it next time when we talk about uh when we talk about Keats. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I guess yeah. Any other thoughts on this stuff? On the Shining, book or movie, King. I'm really glad that the book doesn't have him talking to his fucking finger. I think that would have pissed me off. Although I'm cur- like now I'm really curious to see how King would have made that work. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess you could do voiceover. There was some of the voiceover they did in the movie with between like Holleran and Danny. They just did like voiceover. And I do think, you know, it is funny that I found myself being really judgmental of Stephen King based on the character of Jack. Because that was probably unwarranted. Yeah. I think that, like, that's another thing that we tend to do a lot with writers. To project the values of their, like, evil characters onto them. But yeah, man. And there the three of them sat on the dock in the afternoon sunset. Yeah. yeah my copy of the book also has, like, the first handful of pages of Doctor Sleep. I haven't read them. Yeah. All the quits after the epilogue. I was like, all right. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. He wrote it, you know, so much later. It is a lot. Doctor Sleep is a little slower. Yeah. You know, sequels like this written many years later, usually it, it usually it's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Usually. All right. Yeah. Uh, no other thoughts on this. Uh if you want to contact us, you can contact us at heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, a reminder to listeners, uh, we're interested in workshop horror stories. If you have some type of horror story that you experienced or <laughs> a story you want to share uh, about a workshop experience uh, in any art form, uh, let us know. Yeah, we want to hear your dirty laundry. Yeah. <laughs> and then we want to air it. Air it out to dry. Only way to only way to clean it. 
Yeah, you can send us those at heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com as well. Subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, receive full uncensored episodes for subscribers only, as well as uh, bonus materials, interviews. Uh, check out our YouTube channels. Uh, subscribe for more. Uh, links to all the books and shit in the description. And as Sophie said, next week we are doing uh, the complete poems of John Keats. This is going to be a doozy, Soph. Yeah, and if you or uh, someone you know has said dumb shit in a writing class, um, again, we want to know. The copy that we have of Keats, I will link that below. We do have, it's kind of like a digi-print, digi-read. Print-on-demand. Yeah, print-on-demand. I'm not thrilled about that, but... uh... It is affordable, and it does have his complete works. Uh, yeah, and it, it uh, has a pretty funny introduction. But also, uh, yeah, introduction by Robert Bridges. But it's also, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess we'll talk about this next week or next episode. I'm going to go into it now. But yeah, get yourself a copy of that. We're going to go into it. Damn, that's like, what is that, 500 pages? We'll see how far we get. 450 pages of Keats. All right. This has been Heavy Board. My name is Andrew Whitstock. And I'm Sophie Wiener. Uh, I guess we'll see you next time. Bye. Sweats and the day sweats, pal. Pal, I do.